podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with Fan Hub to put fans first. Search Fan Hub app to play your part in the journey. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Welcome to episode 85 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast in association with Fan Hub, where the fans come first, and our local business sponsor, Vici Clo. I'm delighted to say we were doing something a bit different this week with uh, our game against Crystal Palace a couple of days away. We, we brought on a, a fan from the opposition and it's a, it's a big welcome to Ali from Prada South London Fan TV. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thanks for having me on. Uh, looking forward to the chat and the game. Hoping to get a little bit more luck than the last time we played you. I think the last time we played you was the uh, the handball by Joel Ward and then they changed the rule after the game. Is that right? <laughs> I think yeah, yeah. I think we I think we've all been there, haven't we, at some point over the course of yeah. uh, the last couple of seasons where things have gone against against us and then they change the rule the week after. It seems to be a common theme, unfortunately, with the with the Premier League. But let, let's jump jump straight in there, Ali. You know, it's it's a, a game we were just discussing before we we, we started recording about, you know, there's, there's a bit riding on it for ourselves. There's there's all to play for. Um, especially seeing seeing Chelsea get get beaten by by some other West Brom five two today. Um, but how, how's it going with Palace this season? You know, uh, you, you're sitting 13th in the table. You, you're safe by by all accounts. What are your thoughts on how it's going uh, for for Palace? Um, when you look at it on on paper, it, it looks good, doesn't it? I mean, as you said, 13th. We're actually four points off 10th uh, going into this weekend. We were anyway. However, I mean, it's been pretty grim. To be honest, um, the style of play has just been really poor. Less than forty percent possession in most games, and I think most of our most of the fan base are now counting down the games in the hope that Roy Hodgson's contracts not renewed. Um, that's kind of the big hope. Um, and and di- no no disrespect to him, he's obviously done a really good job. And if you're an outsider looking in, you would think what have Palace fans got to moan about? They're probably where they should be. But anyone who watches us or plays us kind of wonders how on earth are they even this high? How have they got this amount of points? Um, and we don't really know ourselves. So it'd be more interesting for us off the pitch than on the pitch, I think, for the rest of the season while we wait for that news on, on Roy Hodgson. Because I think if they extend his contract by another year, I think they're going to have to open up a Samaritan line for Palace fans because I don't think we can take another year of Roy Ball, to be honest. <laughs> Haven't you got a, quite a, a number of players as well to contract in the summer? There's a hell of a lot of players who whose deals are up for renewal, aren't they? As well. Yeah, I mean that's a ridiculous situation, and that's not Roy Hodgson's fault. That's the you know you've got to look at Steve Parrish, the chairman and the director of football, Dougie Friedman, there because to have ten key players at least contract coming up. Yeah, I mean how does that affect their mentality going into the last period? I mean Andros Townsend was on. Talk sport the other day saying that as he was coming on to games, he was thinking, instead, I've got to come on and, and prove myself to earn a contract. But I mean, the flip side of that is what happens as we're winding down towards the end of the season, a lot a few of these players have got 
deal set up with other clubs. They're going to be going to go into games thinking, I don't want to get an injury to to mess up this deal that I've got with another club. So it's not a healthy situation at all, to be honest. That is a double-edged sword, that. It's, you can look at it almost like the Aaron Ramsey transfer or the saga at Arsenal to Juve, isn't it? Players will look at it as being, OK, if we go with no transfer fee, I can demand more of my wages as well. So it gives them a better strength when they're speaking to other clubs, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of them, I mean, Patrick Van Arnholt, for example, is a player who I want to go. We've got Tyrek Mitchell, a really good young left back. And I think it's time that uh, Patrick Van Arnholt moves on. But I mean, he's he, he's a Dutch international. So, for example, Galatasaray are linked, Champions League. So, as you said, if they haven't got a transfer fee, he could be get, getting a high contract there. So, Mitchell gets injured and Patrick Van Arnholt has to play, then... Is he going to be putting it in 100% in the last few games? I don't want to question his desire mentality. I, I think he's had a good career at Palace, but it has to be psychologically there, even in the back of their heads, doesn't it? 100%, yeah. I do like Mitchell as well, by the way. I've seen a bit of him. He's, mm. he's a talented kid. He looks a good player. Yeah, he doesn't really get talked about as much as some of our other players. I mean, obviously, the big talking point in our youngsters is SA now. Um, obviously, he's not from our academy, but we signed him and he played for the under-21s in the week. So Mitchell's kind of gone under the radar a bit, but he is, yeah, he's a very promising left-back and he has kept um, Patrick Van Arnhout out for a large proportion of the season, to be honest. It's interesting. And we're going to pick up a bit more, obviously, on, on Palace in a second as well. But Peter, if we bring you in there, based on, obviously, what, what Ali's saying there about the potential um, unrest at, at Palace, it seems, with the, with the current situation, that's something that we can we can possibly... Um, take advantage of when we play on on Monday night. Yeah, for, from a selfish point of view, you you absolutely hope so. You hope it's sort of like the right time to play Palace because they're an interesting team, aren't they? I mean, you go back to sort of the start of the season. You look at that United away game. We beat United Old Trafford. Fair enough, United weren't quite on it, but Palace were were great. You know, really organised, really aggressive, really up for it. Everybody seemed to be on the you know on the game. You know, Zaha didn't let the occasion get the get the sort of best of him. I know he missed he missed a pen and put the rebound in. Um Ayu was really sharp. Or was it a retake? Did he have to retake the I pen? I think he re I think he retook it. it. it was a controversial retake, wasn't it? But you know, you are one of those teams where you you know, you've had a few famous victories, haven't you, against some of the, the big boys and some good results, you know, again obviously off often against Liverpool in previous years, City, mm. ourselves a couple of times. Um yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, that's one of the things Roy Hodgson should get credit for, and I don't think he gets enough credit for from our fan base, is his record against the top six has been really good. I mean, it's better than Arsenal's record against top six in recent seasons, which some people might say it's not hard. But um, I think that's what gives me a little bit of hope going into this game, is that he does yield points from games where you don't think we would. Um, and tactically, he is more astute and clever than our fan base recognised sometimes. Um, so you are right. I mean, that game in particular at Man United was probably the highlight of the season. And Wilfred Saha going back to a team who put as much effort into developing him as Birmingham puts into getting to training on time and scoring two goals. That was a, a beautiful moment for us. Yeah, so probably one of the few highlights that you've picked up on there. Yeah, I think Roy... Roy yeah. When he got the England job, I wasn't exactly enamoured with it. You know what I mean? And, and and England under Hodgson wasn't exactly, you know, beautiful football. I mean, he was always very much known as a pragmatic coach. I mean, his stints in Italy showed that as well. I think that's probably suited to him, that league. Because a lot of teams, you know, set up to basically not concede and play pragmatic football. 
I think the reason he's had success against the so-called bigger teams who want the ball more or possession is, is he likes that, doesn't he? He likes teams to come on and you've obviously got the players to counter. You know, you've always had pace on the counter-attack and obviously you've added Eze to the likes of Townsend and, and Zaha. Eze looks a real talented kid. I was interested to see how he was going to do this season. Obviously, you took a punt on him and I think he's had a mixed season, but he showed flashes of brilliance, hasn't he, as well? I mean, that goal he scored... Was it was it against Fulham? Was it was it against Fulham? Sheffield United, where he Sheffield ran. United. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was a very good goal. I think, like any young player, he he's inconsistent, and yeah. also I think the way he's used by Roy doesn't help him. He usually plays on the left hand side, and usually in Roy's system, he usually ends up tracking back a lot. Um, but he has added, and what he's added as well is uh, someone else for the team to focus on. So the team. The opposition can't just put three men on Wilfred Saha because they've got someone else to think about. Um, but the other one key to our counter who's fit and isn't always fit is Jeffrey Schlupp. Um, and he you, he doesn't get talked about, but he is absolutely essential to our counter-attack uh, and our transition because without him, we don't get up the pitch as quickly and we just end up sort of camped in our own half. So I think Schlupp, Eze and Saha all fit makes me think that we can play our counter-attacking style to effect at, on Monday. Yeah, and Ben Teke's scoring again, hasn't he, recently as well? He's been he's been looking a bit sharper. Yeah, I, I, I mean, Ben Teke, I mean, I think you asked me before I came on here to think of our sort of, you know, our, our danger men. And, and to put Ben Teke down as one of our danger men, I never thought I'd be right in that. I, I thought that, you know, if he said that to me at the start of the season, I, I'd have said there's more chance of... Harry Maguire taking his next summer holiday back in Mykonos. But um, I think Benteke, you know, I think we still don't feed him enough. He doesn't get the the right service from us. And he he's, to be fair to him, putting away important goals this season. But if we actually got some decent crosses into him regularly, he, he could be doing even more because he, he's sort of more of the Benteke that you saw all the way back at Aston Villa, except probably slightly less mobile. And Well, I mean... With Ben Teke, I always said even when it when he moved to Liverpool, Liverpool never ever played to Ben Teke's strengths. And the thing with him, he he, he is so good in the air, and he, he's always a constant threat. And if you're going to sign that kind of play, you you got you have got to play, got to play to to, to their strengths. Um, and he certainly, you know, he seems to turn a bit of a corner corner recently. You mentioned obviously Eze, obviously a talented kid, Zaha, as we know. We've we've been linked with him numerous over numerous seasons, um, potentially coming to to Goodison Park. But you, you must, you know, you mentioned about hope that you can get something from the game. The way obviously Hodgson uh, might set up, and he, he's got a decent record against the the better sides. But you must have a lot of hope going into playing as a Goodison Park because our record is so poor this season. You know, I think we've lost seven of the last ten at Goodison Park, which is you know it's just totally unheard of for us to be losing mm. that number of games at home. Yeah, I look at it as well. Um, you've lost to, I think it's Fulham Fulham and Newcastle and Burnley at home this season. They're all teams similar to Palace in that we set up defensively and try and catch you on the break. So, yeah, that I looked at that and I thought there's a lot of hope here in that we could counter you effectively because I think you, you find it hard to, to break those kind of teams down. And I think key to it, I think key to your win at Selhurst Park was Rodriguez sort of if we sit the way we do eventually he will find a, an intelligent pass that will find its way through if he's fit um, and he's playing then I I, I would fancy you because I, I don't think we can sit back 
and just let him spray balls all game. I think he'll find something within the 90, like he did, I think, in your first goal at, at Sellers Park. But, I mean, is he is he going to play? Because it, he has been a bit inconsistent in his appearances, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah he's he back, is. Isn't he? he is, he back, is back, fit. fully fit. Ca- yeah. Ca- Carlo, Carlo gave him quite a, a number of weeks off, and then he used the international break to to get back to full fitness. So judging by what Carlo was saying in the press conference, Hamez is back and, and rearing to go, which is it's great for us. I mean, we, we've said it all season, that the the one sort of key defining factor, I think, in, in our wins um and, and quality performances this season has been has been Hamez because he can do something out of nothing, you know, and that's that's the beauty of having a player like him. So he is fit. Um Olsen should start in goal. Uh, Pickford is is injured. Um Obviously, Calvert Lewin and Charleston, the, the the two lads up up top, who who are obviously a massive a massive threat. Um, but it's it's great for us. But one player that I want to, I want to mention, which you might be a bit aware of, Ali is uh, is Jan Philippe Gabamon, who's been out for eighteen months now. Um, he made around about a, a game and a half worth of appearances for us before before injury injury struck him. And from our point of view, Pete. You know, and, and from to be fair, I said this on Twitter yesterday. From Gabamon's mental health point of view, it's fantastic to see him back. And Carl said he's now ready to be involved with the squad on a match day. Uh, it must be great for the lad to, to now finally be be back amongst the uh, the first team squad and and good to go. Hopefully, yeah, well, it's as good as a new signing, isn't it? And Carlo pretty much said that, didn't he, in his um, in his comments because he's played such little football for us, and I think. Everyone needs to remember, you know, Gabamon came in as the replacement for Adrissa Garnier um, in that, you know, sort of defensive shield role, someone that can carry the ball, someone that's neat and tidy, someone that's really aggressive. So for us to lose him, um, I think we said it was probably a massive part of the end of Marco Silva's tenure. Um, and it's, yeah, it's probably leaked into other seasons as well. But I think probably the place Evertonians need to be in is not to put too much pressure on him. You know, to maybe accept that he's going to get a few appearances off the bench probably for the rest of the season. I'd be really surprised to see him start. I think the club are going to be really, really careful with him, uh, not throw him straight back in. So hopefully he can come off the bench and get get some minutes. But from a mentality point of view, both for him, but for I think the squad in general, you know, to have him, um, you know, sort of back in the sort of, um, you know, the, the 18 and the team, uh, the sort of the match day team, I think is a, a real, real boost. And I think, like we were saying in the last pod, that's all the, all the rest of the season is now, trying to get the level as high as possible. And, you know, really we need to be looking at winning every game and uh, and sort of keeping in there, especially over the next, you know, the next two are must win. But probably the next five games are ultimately going to decide, are we in Europe or not? Mm-hmm. I think the thing with Gabamon is as well, Lee, is, like Pete was saying there, in regards to the pressure from the fans, it's it's massively important that we don't expect too much too soon. You know, we're probably going to see him in you know little bits and pieces, ten minutes, fifteen minutes here and there. And um, we might he might even pick up a couple of little niggles because he's not gone full pelt playing football for for eighteen months. So you know, from a, a physical point of view, there could be a few little breakdowns here and there, which is to be expected. Uh, but as fans, we've got to make sure that we stick with them. You know, we, we we let him sort of develop and progress at it, at his rate, and you know, if he has a few little niggles and setbacks, you know, we we don't start slagging him off kind of thing because you know that that's the worst thing in the world for a player who has who's played so little football in the last year and a half. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think we'd all expect he's going to have a few cameos here and there. There's no way I'd expect him to start any games between now and the end of the season. Um, he was the six that Marco Silva always wanted once Gay left, and unfortunately, we never, you know, we never fixed that solution. Um, I know Alan's come in. Alan's done done a decent job um, in in that role, although. As fans, most of us would probably want him pushing a bit higher up the pitch, winning the ball higher up the pitch. Um, and if Kabamin, you know, can stay fit, ready for the start of next season, it might save us a few quid on signing another midfielder. Um, because for me, you'd have him sitting in the sixth role um, and have, um, as I said, Alan Roman in front of him, winning the ball a bit further up the pitch. Um, and then potentially, you know, Gomez in the 10 or Decore as part of a three. Uh, suddenly, our midfield then with Decore, Gomez, Allen, Gabamin, you know, looks looks a pretty solid midfield. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see. It will be interesting to see, how, you know, how we how we how we phases him in. Carlo clearly likes him. Um, you know, he's he spoken highly of him when he has played in training. So, you know, good luck to the lad. Let's hope he doesn't pick up any 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 serious injuries again because, you know, players' careers are very very finite, aren't they? And he's been very unlucky since he's come here. Yeah, hundred percent. And as I said, it's it's so important that we we do stick with him, and hopefully he can he can become a pivotal part of that midfield, especially going into into the new season. But Ali, I'm going to come to you. What what are your thoughts in terms of how how the game's going to finish? What what's your prediction for the game? Do you think Palace can can get something from it? Um, I think um, I think looking back on the first game against you it was very early on in the season, but I thought we matched you well in that game and. And probably felt a little bit unlucky in the handball incident. Although I did think you played very well. I thought Rodriguez had a really good game that day. Um, but I think, like I said, I'm pointing out to the kind of teams that you've lost to at Goodison Park, that does give me hope. And this is, I've been a little bit negative on Ray Hodgson, obviously, at the start of this pod. But it, this is the kind of game where he yields a result. I, I think it will be a 1-1 draw. Interesting, draw. What's your Just out of interest, though, while you're on, what's, what's your thoughts on Everton... This season, I know you've mentioned Rodriguez a couple of times. We all rate him. He's obviously got class mm. when he's fit. Yeah. Is there any any other guys at Everton that you like the look of? I think um, I mean Godfrey has been a good signing for you at the back, hasn't he? The twenty million one yeah. from Norwich. That's yeah. a really shrewd signing, I think. Um, I think you've gone up a notch uh, in terms of the project with your new owner and the finances and Carlo Ancelotti. And I just think it, it goes about saying it's so obvious, but the next period of football before the end of the season is just so big for your project if you even get Europa League football I thought you recruited well last summer I thought Decore was a, a great signing I thought you alluded to Alan I thought you definitely improved in the central midfield area um I think you could go up another notch though if you get European football in sort of the caliber of players that you attract um I've got to be honest like no disrespect but when there were the sort of the Wilfred Saha links to Everton a few seasons ago I kind of thought really is he going to go there? They've not got European football. But if you came in this summer, I'd be worried because I'd be thinking Carlo Ancelotti, Calvert-Lewin, Rodriguez, play alongside these players, European football. I, I, I think actually that's a really good move for him. So I think you're definitely moving in the right direction. But the opposite to us, whereas, you know, we've got nothing to play for. You've got so much to play for in the next sort of however long it is till the end of the season. That, that will probably dictate a lot of where you go next season, obviously, because if you get European football, I think your project just keeps accelerating. And you've definitely got the... I mean, you've got a great manager, haven't you? That That's obvious. 
Mm, I mean, Antotti's been a real coup for us, definitely. I mean, if you look at what City did when they came into cash, that was pre-FFP, they were allowed to accelerate a lot quicker. But even mm. then, it took them time to you know, to get to that yeah. sort of level. And now yeah. for us, trying to do it, obviously, within FFP, I know FFP's now coming to an end, but trying mm. to do it in that, it's a lot harder to break into, you know, into that so-called top six. But um, I think well, Ancelotti... Man City weren't, were they? I mean, they were breaking the rules and they didn't even get really punished yeah. for it, did they? <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. Then. Yes, it shows you, shows you how redundant it was. But yeah. it was just interesting to see what, you know, what, what players you like to look up from, from a, a sort of Palace perspective. I think you mentioned Calvert-Lewin there. You know, if you were to ask us as fans, you know, we all thought he was a talented kid, but we didn't think he'd hit the heights that he has done this season. You know, he's, he's really come on. It looks like he's definitely cemented a place uh, in the Euros as well, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he's. I think he's really incredibly unlucky to have Harry Kane in front of him. To be honest, um, mm. and I think I think really you definitely strengthen in that central midfield area, and that's where I'm really worried for the weekend because Roy tends to go four four two, and I think this is the kind of game where we'll get outrun and outpassed through the middle, and and I just I, this this is the game he should play four two three one and be flexible, but he won't be. And I, do you know what? I actually really, really wish uh, one of your former players was fit this weekend, and that's James McCarthy, because I'd, I'd love him just sitting in front of our back four this weekend and giving us a bit of an extra layer of protection. But he, he's not fit, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I think Everton, I've been really impressed this season, definitely going in the right direction. But you're kind of holding your breath at the moment, aren't you? Waiting to see how the rest of the season pans out. 100%. It's, it's, it's always interesting, like Lisa, to hear from fans of other clubs about what they, they think of, of Everton, uh, because obviously we, we have a very biased opinion and uh, <laughs> we know what we think's good and, and what have you, but it, it is interesting to hear. Uh, but Lee, let's, let's have a prediction from you. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think it'll be a tight game. It won't be, it won't be an easy game at all. I think Palace is always a tough game. They've got, they've got some talented players. You know, we've talked about them just then. Um, I think Carla won't be naive either. You know, I think we'll have we'll have we'll have the majority of the ball. But when we have had the majority of the ball against teams like this, we have struggled to break them down. So Hammers Hammers for me could be the difference in this game. I'd imagine we throw him straight in because he is capable of doing something out of nothing. He is capable of unlocking a you know a four four two formation. So I, I I think if we can get an early goal and the players relax a little bit, I think we you know we could we could win. Um, for me, I'd say I'd say two 0 but that, that that early goal's key. If we don't and the game's tight, it can go anyway after that then. Uh, there's a stat about Palace that if we go 1-0 down, I think probably over 90% of those matches we end up losing and we can't get back into it. Because obviously then Roy's plan A is gone in sitting back and then catching a team on the breaks. Then he has to go for it and he doesn't have a plan B. So yeah, the first goal will be massive in this game. Yeah. Pete? Yeah, I think like the lads, I think it'll be a really tight game. I do think it'll be first goal the winner. But I just think with the Chelsea defeat, I think with the lads having a bit of extra rest, a bit of time off, hopefully Hammers coming back in, hopefully fully fit, rested Richarlison. Um, I think a few of the other players will be hungry as well. I think Michael Keane will have a point to prove. I just think the mentality and the level in the squad, obviously Gabamon coming back in as well, will be a lot higher than it was before the break. So I fancy us to get the 2-0 win. Tight game, but I think we'll we'll get it done because it's a must-win. We've got to do it. I, I think I think the lads not travelling to South America is huge, by the way. You know, because 
Hammers probably would have gone. You know, you know exactly what he, he loves playing for for his country. So whether he was a hundred percent fit or not, I think he would have gone across. So him not going, yeah, you mean not going, Richarlison, Allen, you know, the key key players for us this season. Um having, you know, that break just to, you know, knock around at, at Finch Farm, do some light training, build themselves back up, I think is absolutely key. Um and I think that will be the deciding factor. Hammers being fit. Is is obviously these his quality, you know. For, for me, on, on his day, he walks to any side of the Premier League. He's he's that good. Um, Calvert Lewin had a decent international break. Um, obviously scored a couple of goals. So I I, I see an Everton win, but I think it'd be tight. I think it'd be two one. I, I think that I think we'll uh, we will nick it. But I, I've got a, got a lot of respect for Palace. I've, I've always thought that, you know. On the day, they, they can cause problems for, for any side. And they have proven that over the years. They've got some real pace and power on, on the counter-attack. So, tight game. But uh, I do expect us to, to nick that win and, and obviously keep charging to, towards a, a European place. Uh, but, Ali, we're going to leave it there, mate, for the uh, for the preview of the game. Absolute yeah. pleasure to have, to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. And um, good luck for the rest of the season. I, I live in a West Ham area now, unfortunately. By marriage, and I'm really praying you finish above them because they are unbearable <laughs> at the moment. Um, Pete, you know, it's West Ham, don't you, Pete? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm completely with you. I, yeah, I don't think I'll be able to live it down if we uh, if we finish below them. I don't, th- I don't think we will, though. I, I think they'll crumble off. I think they're, they're oh. flaky. I, I, I hope they do because honestly, all the myths about them that they believe they won the '66 World Cup and they still bang on about it is true. <laughs> and and you know, actually, Palace have finished above them for the majority of the time I've lived here, but um, this season is is horrible. So yeah, just keep going for it. Um, apart from uh, on Monday, obviously. And uh, yeah, say a little prayer that Roy Hodgson's gone by the end of the season for us. <laughs> you will. Thanks you will. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Take care, mate. Nice and we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in about 30 seconds. For Everton fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Everton videos and podcasts, download the Toffees app for free now on the App Store and Google Play. Welcome back to the Unholy Sanity podcast where we are going to pick up something which we haven't discussed as we, we last recorded the, the podcast there before it was announced. but. Fantastic news that that Bramley Moore has been given full government approval, which is which is fantastic. Hasn't been called in. We are now pretty much good to go in terms of starting the uh, starting the way actually down down the dock itself. And it was it was news that came pretty much out of the blue really on a on a Friday afternoon. We weren't expecting it probably that that quick after after we were told it was going to be a little bit delayed, which was expected. And then you obviously you hear about all the uh, the council going on, council shenanigans and things like that. Um, and the Conservatives getting involved, and you know, obviously the stories kick off about about our ground and whether that was going to be involved. But Pete, what, what was your what was your feeling when that news came out? Because I know I know myself, I was obviously absolutely delighted by it. You know, it's just something which we've absolutely we, we've been waiting for this for, for so long to to get the approval to to start building work but what was your what was your feeling because i was also a little bit i'd say emotional as well thinking that the countdown to leaving goodson park as well and see on yeah mixed feelings i'd say initially cautiously over the moon if there's <laughs> such a feeling <laughs> i think i think i'm 
it's part of parcel being being an Evertonian, I think. But I'm also the type of person where I probably won't get fully excited until the thing's built and I'm on my way there to see the first game because I'm. I, you just learn to be that way with, especially with Everton, with the you know the amounts of ups and downs we've had over the years. But yeah, it looks absolutely phenomenal, doesn't it? it looks you know amazing, and it seems to be actually happening. And it's going to completely transform not just Everton, but that part of the city is going to create so many jobs. Uh, you know, lots of amazing things are going to happen because of because of the stadium. And yeah, it will be really sad and emotional to leave Goodison Park. I can't even get my head around what it'll be like to you know to be there for the final game. I mean, it it almost feels slightly unbelievable to say that out loud. You know, that we're going to have a last game at Goodison Park. Um, but I think it's amazing that the, the club are going to sort of keep the stadium as a sort of a, you know, a, a totem for the community. You know, that they're not sort of neglecting the, that part of, you know, sort of L4 of Liverpool that have relied so heavily on the club, um, you know, for, for jobs and community. So I think that's Everton through and through, isn't it? They've not done an Arsenal and made it into trendy flats. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, I totally, you know, in, in terms of the the Goodison Park legacy, that's for me is, is as important as as Bramley Moor. You know, when you when you see uh, football clubs leave communities behind and move to new grounds, like you said, Arsenal built you know flats at the a Highbury, and I think West Ham was uh, up the park was knocked down and built into brand new flats. And you know, I think it's massively important. I think clubs around the country have got a responsibility for the communities that they. They base themselves in, and they've been in for many, many years to to look after that community. And let's get it right: when when Goodison Park does close its doors for the final time, and match days are no more, the the businesses around that area, around County Road, etc., are going to be massively hit from not having match day revenue for for nine months of, of the year. Um, so t- to do what the club are doing and ensuring there's going to be a legacy there for the community. Um, I think is is absolutely exceptional and something which the, the club should take should take great pride in. Um, but Lee, but what what I'll I'll just come back if, if I may to to your thoughts on when the news was announced as well. And you know, were, were you the same as Pete? You know, cautiously optimistic or cautiously over over the moon, should we say? Um, or were you were you fully fully engaged like me? Because I was I started doing cartwheels in the uh, in the kitchen and I and. I can't do cartwheels, so that was a, a great sight. <laughs> uh, no, mate, I think, um, yeah, I mean, we, you, you were right. It sort of came out of the blue, didn't it? Um, we know it got referred to government, but we were all kind of quietly confident the noises coming out that, you know, that it was going to go through. Um, and certainly, you know, with the year that we've had, you know, in terms of, you know, the, uh, the pandemic and how that's affected the economy, um, it's a massive, massive shot in the arm as well uh, for, for for us as a city, um, because like Pete just alluded to, it's it's not just the stadium being built, which will be absolutely amazing for us. It's the jobs that are going to be created in that part of Liverpool as well. You know that part of Liverpool has, has laid derelict for a very long time. You know the fact that now we're going to have a stadium there. There'll no doubt be other businesses that are going to get built around it, whether that's restaurants, hotels, um, and that's massive for us then, because all along the dock then. You know, it'll be it'll be fantastic, uh, right the way from King's Dock right up to up to Bramley Moor. Um, so yeah, you know, it was it was absolutely amazing news, and like we said as well, it's it's Goodison Park is is for me, um, you know, iconic. You know, and that's just not being an Everton fan. You know, it it, it just it, it just 
reeks of history, doesn't it, in terms of the teams that, you know, that, you know, have played even in World Cups and things like that, the players that have played on that surface, our own teams that we've had there. You know, it's going back to the Victorian days. I had a bit of a, a mini to do, even though I try not to, on, on Twitter with someone the other day saying that Goodison, he was, he was a journalist from down south, saying that Goodison was effectively a dump. And it needs, and it, you know, and it had a bit of a to do with him um, in terms of like you know, understand your history, you know, and understand that the noise that that sort of ground generates that very few and far between stadiums do nowadays. And that's the key, one of the biggest keys for me as well is when we do go to this new stadium. I know Mice has obviously talked about having the blue wave and trying to create that sort of uh, you know, old-fashioned atmosphere if you like, and that's massively key. You know, if we can create that stadium. And it still holds that noise in, you know, because when, when, when it gets going, let's be fair, it's one of the best atmospheres in the country. You know, we've all been to different grounds and I'd say Goodison, when it's bouncing, is still one of the best out there. Um, it really is. You know, we've all had goosebump moments in, in, that, in that ground. Um, but, it'd be, you know, the legacy that, that we said, it's just typical of Everton. You know, they've already come out and said, look, we could easily sell, you know, sell it to... Uh, uh, a housing development company, you know, build new houses, flats, um, you know, even even shopping centres, whatever. But we're not, you know, we're actually trying to leave something that's good for the community, and we'll actually make less money in doing so by doing that. And I really commend the club for that, you know, because they could easily flog it off, you know, for more money and use that to inject into the stadium, but they're not. Um, so mass, massive, massive credit there for the club. And I also want to give a big shout out. I know you did, Mike, on Twitter on our account, but big shout out to Farhad Mashiri as well. Because the guys come in, whether you like him or loathe him, you know, all the shouts out, he's a fraud, you know, and all this, you know, absolute rubbish. You know what I mean? The guys come in, he's cleared the debts. Yes, he's probably made one or two mistakes on the way. We've discussed that. Um, but look, it looks like the jigsaw pieces are slowly coming together now. You know, we've got the manager that we've, we've, we've wanted. We're starting to see the players come in, as, as our guest has just said there. Now, we've, you know, other fans are starting to see us going up a notch. And then now, you know, the jigsaw is the final piece of the jigsaw is that stadium. And hopefully, as Carlo's alluded to this week, he wants to be the manager when, and, and lead that team out at Bramley Moor. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? I mean, you know, if we've got a team, if Carlo's still there, can you imagine what that team's even going to be like? I think, yeah. And I think I said to, to, to you both, I think this is probably the, the most significant bit of uh, news that, a lot of our fans will have actually experienced with us, you know, especially the younger fans. Um, you know, with, with us not not winning Sophie for for a very long time, this is this is a massive, massive piece of news for ourselves, and a massive uh, bit of progression that we're going to be that we're going to be taking. Um, I think, I mean, your point about the journalist. I've just had a little look at your account to see to see who it was. Uh, <laughs> I won't name it. I won't. Uh, <laughs> I won't name any names. Um, but you know, everyone wants to go and have a little look at the conversation. Feel free, but I think I think it's baffling when I, I see away fans slip, slag, slag off Good, Goodison Park because how many how many um, teams you've moved in the past? How many people have said they'd love to go back to their old ground because these new grounds aren't, aren't like the old grounds; they're not made the same way. They don't bring the same atmosphere, um, and that's that's exactly like you say that Dan Mice has said all the way through. The key to this this ground is creating that same atmosphere. So the acoustics have got to be right, and it's it's being designed with that in mind to keep the sound in into the ground and not let it let it escape, so to speak. Um, and that's that's what I think we we are getting right. It's not like it, it will be like a soulless ground, like um, the Olympic Stadium, you know, that kind of toilet seat designed designed stadium. This is a proper football ground. 
for, for a proper football club. And I think anyone who dismisses Goodison Park, by the way, is an absolute lunatic and, and shouldn't be conversing with anyone on Twitter. Uh, that, that is for sure. But I think, I think it's so important for us, like you say, the progression of the club, uh, obviously, that we're in at the moment, the developments that we're, that we're going through. We want to obviously be qualified for Champions League. And, you know, th- this stadium is going to be the perfect stadium to host European football. Let's get that right. And let's hope that we're, by the time it opens in hopefully 2024, we, we are regulars in Europe, qualifying for this Champions League. And, you know, one of our first games in the, in the ground could be could be a Champions League game. Uh, because I think, I think that's what Farhad Mashiri wants. As you said, he deserves massive credit for what he's done since he's he's come into the club. Mistakes have been made, money is being wasted. That man's been there all the way through and has put his hand in his pocket. And this is this is part of his vision. He wants to be there, he wants to see it through, he wants us to be, to be chanting at the top of the table. And like you say, this is this is the final piece of the jigsaw. It's just a case of from now till then is getting the, the development of the of the squad at a particular level where we are fighting on the pitch for, for Champions League football every single season. Um, but I mean, if, if Farhad again, left, sorry, mate, if Farhad left after the ground was built, I mean, what a legacy to leave, isn't it? I mean, what a legacy to leave that, you know, because that ground now, that after that, you'd think, you know, would, would be our ground possibly for the next hundred years. Do you know what I mean? You know, and, and, and that, that's not probably a stupid statement to make either because that's, that's what they're intended to be, isn't it? So, I mean, it'd be mm. iconic that the fact it's on, on, on the river as well, on the River Mersey, you know, and you know, look at the, you know, we've all seen the designs. You know, we'll all be like kids again. You know, I mean, we've all had that moment as kids where we've all walked into Goodison up those steps. You know, what I mean, and you and 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 be to be greeted by that noise, and we look at that pitch for the first time, and you, you, you know, you get those tingles. You think, oh my god, you know, this is this is just iconic. And as adults, we're going to walk into this ground, and we're probably going to have that same feeling again, aren't we? We're going to be like literally like little kids walking up the steps there and, and viewing that pitch for the first time. Uh, and I literally cannot wait for that moment. I literally cannot wait. Mm. I, I let's hope Carlo's in charge because uh, to, to take a quote from a recent Carlo interview, what he said was in regards to being in charge of the club when we get to Bramley Moor, it would be a privilege. And mean we did well in the final years at Goodison because this is the only way Everton will ask me to stay. The plan is to keep con- uh, contact with our community around Goodison. Makes me proud. This is a good example of why I say I found a family at Everton. So it's it's absolutely fantastic that a manager like Carlo Ancelotti speaks the way he does about the club. The fact that he, he takes great pride in being a manager of the club and the fact that he wants to be there when we do move and, and for years beyond that. And, and what, what he's saying there, Pete, which is great to hear, is that the only way that we're going to ask him, Farhad Mishiri, Bill Kennick, will ask him to stay on beyond his contract is if he's successful on the pitch. And what a, what a great thing to hear from, from someone like Carlo Ancelotti. Um, the fact that he knows that over these next few years, he's got to bring some success to the table as well. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, it goes without saying, doesn't it? He's, you know, it's a cliche, but he's here to win something. You know, whether that's, you know, a, a trophy or, you know, something in Europe. The club's got to be successful. That's what this is all about. 100%. I totally agree with that. 
I think he's, he's not naive enough to think, oh, I still, I'll still be here because it, this is my name. This is who I am. He knows that the club has to keep on making those incremental steps, you know, to, you know, to hopefully, like you've just said, my, a Champions League team, uh, hopefully before we move to the new ground, but obviously hopefully in time for it. Um, but yeah, I, I, really, I really do think, you know, if, if he is manager and we are making those steps, like I said, that team will be unrecognisable. You know, we'll, we'll see a lot of top players in that side by then, hopefully. If we carry on making making these moves, obviously there's been noise this week and there about FFP changing, maybe for the better mm. to allow us maybe to get there a bit quicker. Um, hopefully that will be the case. Uh, we'll see what the new rules come out like. But Carlo made a great statement this week. I don't know the exact, mate. You've you've probably got the quote there somewhere, but um, he said something brilliant, like saying um, most football clubs nowadays are like businesses. But uh, he, he said something like Everton isn't about that. Everton is. He, he said. Everton is about love or something, he said, didn't he? He said something like that, uh, or words to that effect. Yeah, so what, what he said, uh, some clubs are like businesses, but not Everton. It is a place full of love. What a comment that is. What a comment. I mean, at the same time, some people, obviously most people thought it was a fantastic comment, and, and I, I'd fall into that camp, but some people then criticised it going, yeah, but it, you know, do we want to be a team like that? Or do we want to be a team that's kind of like, is it maybe a little bit more corporate, like a Chelsea, say, or a City now, and then uh, and a bit more ruthless and a bit more sort of, you know, we win things. But, you know, we, it's an interesting debate that maybe that's one we can have on another time. But, that you know, I, I thought generally that as a comment, though, Carlo's absolutely spot on with that. What do you think, Pete? Do you, do you agree? With? With that comment, like most club, football clubs are like businesses, but Everton is a place full of love, he said. Well, well, of course they are. Of course, of course the, the, the businesses and the more successful clubs are, are unlike businesses because, you know, ultimately that's what modern football's become. And the two things go hand in hand, don't they? I mean, it's all about now, you know, recruitment and player development and, you know, the way that clubs buy now is is completely different, isn't it? We, I mean, we've spoken about this a lot with Everton, haven't we, that now... You know, we're looking to buy, you know, a certain calibre of, of young player. We, you know, we were quite surprised even at bringing in sort of Alan uh, Decore, given the likes of their sort of age profile, presumably some kind of conversations taking place there for those signings to be made because it's probably outside of the ideal recruitment structure for the club. So I think all clubs now looking to be successful are organised around a business model. And there is a secondary cost to that, isn't it? That, you know, you start arguably to move away a little bit from the fans and get a bit isolated from the fans. I think Manchester City are a fantastic club, but they can't fill the stadium at home consistently. And that just blows my mind because you just wouldn't get that with Everton. You wouldn't get that with Everton, you know, and we're, you know, we're not even challenging for the Premier League. So in in a way, you know, yeah, we have to become more businesslike to move forward. But I wouldn't say I'm, you know, I don't think it's arrogance to say, you know, Everton of a different club and it won't happen to us. But I just think the type of people involved with Everton, um, I know Bill Kenmark gets a hard time, but I think there's something about the man that, you know, keeps something special about who Everton are. And, I, you know, I do, I do think he gets the club and what makes us different. I think there's got to be a balance, hasn't there, between obviously running it as a business. Because, of course, football's a business. You know, you, you've got to run your football club You've got to want to be successful because if you're successful, you bring more money into the business. It's as simple as that. Um, I think I think the point in regards to those who, who were maybe too enamoured with the with the quote, 
it's probably more to do with there's no there's no room for sentiment in football, which I totally I totally agree with. But what I would say is, as much as yeah, we we need to be ruthless on and off the pitch. Of course, we do. I don't ever want to use, ever want to lose that um, that that sort of family ethos of the club. I don't want to lose how how good we are with our community. Obviously, our community as it is now in and around the uh, Goodison Park and our, our new community. I want us to always be a massive part of that and take that responsibility really, really seriously because I think it's really important, especially in a post-pandemic world. So I think you've got to, you've got to find the balance, of course, and and I think the two can go together and it can be successful. That that's my opinion. But like you say, Lee, that's probably probably do a, a, a whole podcast on that with, mm. with voices from from various sides. But I think. In, in regards to you know being successful and ruthless, what one point that we wanted to bring up uh, on on the podcast was this, the potential change to the Champions League qualification going forward because it, it coincides with our our move to Bramley Moor 2024, and UEFA are looking to expand the competition from 32 to 36 teams, and I think that the biggest the biggest sort of point to make on this for those who maybe haven't heard the news just yet is there's going to be two two wildcard entries based on coefficients, on the club's coefficients. So basically, if you've been successful in Europe in, historically, then if you finish in the Europa League or Europa Conference qualification spot or by winning the FA Cup, whatever it might be, you, you then get lashed into the Champions League on the fact that you've, you've been successful in previous years. Now, what, it, what are our thoughts on that? Because for me, it, it just takes away the, the, the true meaning of a, of a fair competition. Peace. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I think if they're going to, you know, widen the opportunity or have so-called wild cards, that they're moving in the wrong direction with it. You know, why look at, you know, historical performance in European competition? And it's interesting, by the way, who and when decides when history begins. Uh, you know, it's recent history, isn't it? You know, only certain clubs are going to benefit from this. Um you know what? If you know if they're going to have wild cards, why not widen it across all European leagues for you know I, I don't know you know best overall sort sort of you know coefficient or the the, the sort of um, what's well, not runner up is it but get guess like best of the rest you know why not open the wild cards up in that sort of way? It just it seems like it's only going to benefit top teams that for whatever reason slip down a little bit and I think it's really important for Everton because you, you know you look at how tight that table is now you know yes City are running away with it this season but you know there's sort of like nine clubs there that arguably you know could all fight for a Champions League place you know at the start of a new season um, you know the, the standard of football is incredibly tight now so if they introduce a rule like this, and I think obviously none of us fully know how it's going to work out, we're all still sort of trying to get our heads around it. But, you know, say if Liverpool, you know, dip out and have a season similar to what they're having at the moment, this rule's only going to benefit them. Mm-hmm. You know, so how are teams going to improve? How are teams going to break in, so to speak, to, you know, challenging for titles or establishing themselves? If you've got sort of a system that, is looking to almost keep a status quo. It just it feels like a bit of a big game to me. Well, it just reeks. It reeks. I've said it before. I've had, and I, for me, it just reeks of like a, a, you know the European Super League and a different guys, isn't it? You know they want. Let's be honest. They want those top teams 
I say top teams, but they want those same teams in the Champions League. And for me, one of the, the Champions League in some ways is fantastic. Great watch, you know, most of us watch it. But you do tend to find it's the same teams getting to the same stages pretty much every season. You know, and, and, and like you've just alluded to there, Pete, there's probably eight or nine teams in with a shout of European football in the Premier League this season. You know, that's good for the competition, regardless of whether you're an Everton fan or not. And that's where our, you know, our allegiance is. You know, it's it's good for sport. It's good for the league that there are more and more teams in and around that because you want a competitive league. You know, it was, I watched a great documentary the other day on Jack Charlton. I don't know whether you guys saw it. Fantastic documentary. What a guy. If you haven't seen it, watch it on BBC. It's on BBC iPlayer. You know, old school, great player, fantastic manager. Talked about his time in Leeds, things like that. But, you know, when he was a player back then, obviously, you know, different teams won the league all the time. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't just one, one or two or three teams dominating. We've had this chat briefly before about the Premier League, and you know, only a handful of teams have won it. You know, and for me, football needs to, you know, it needs to loosen the rules and to to allow other teams to compete. You know, and if we can, if FFP does relax a little bit and we can throw more money at it, or Mashiri can, then and we, you know, that will allow us to suddenly maybe hopefully competing for titles because you know that that's what it should be about football. Um, and in some ways, that's why some fans nowadays, you know, particularly from my dad's generation to that, have kind of almost semi-switched off from it as well. Not a lot of them have, but some of them have. You know, some of them have switched because, you know, we're never going to win the league. So what's the point? It's, it's some people's attitudes. And right, you know, whether you agree with that or not. But it's an interesting debate because, you know, if you're going to hand out Champions League football to teams who've had a poor season, I mean, that's not giving it to people on merit. That's just going, well, yeah, actually, I know you've had a, you know, a crap season, but, you know, we want you to be in this Champions League. So, you know, there you go. There's your wild card. I mean, no, I think that's, I think that's disgusting. And, and, but, you know, are, are we surprised? You know, we're not in a way really, uh, we're, you know, trying not to be cynical about it. But, you know, hopefully, if I'm right reading it right, Mike, you know, if we do get into that top four, you still get Champions League football, don't you? It's not going to be taken off someone who comes four to be given to someone like Liverpool who comes sixth. Is that right? That, that's how that's how it looks. I think it's I think the, the the biggest issue that people have taken with this and rightly so is this whole wild card issue. Um, and like like we said, you've got to be qualified for competitions on merit. You, you can't just be handed the place because you've done all right in it in the past. And that's that just sent out the wrong message. But you know they, they would be pushing for this Super League, haven't they, for for quite a while now? Yeah. If they had if they had their own way, then they'd all be off off doing that. Um, so it's 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 in a in a way, obviously it's it's nowhere near that, but it's still protecting those clubs who have historically qualified for the Champions League, which, as we said, just it just defeats the whole object of of you know having an open and fair competition. We know already it's not open and fair, like we said with FFP and things like that. But hopefully, you know th- those rules are looked at and, and relaxed or restructured. And we can get back to the days where we, we had more clubs fighting to to win league championships and com, you know uh, cup competitions and qualifying for for Europe and things like that because that's what everyone wants. You, you want to go into a season not being sure who the top two are going to be. That's what I want. You could you could predict you know pretty much this season. I know Liverpool have had a shocker, but you know you, you you'd be saying the last couple of seasons now it's been Liverpool, Man City. They they're your top two. Um, and and you, you don't want that. Um, and I I look forward to the day that they do look at FFP. It looks like it's going to come in sooner rather than later. I think probably the pandemic has pushed forward those plans. Um, and it's only going to benefit, hopefully, the clubs 
like ourselves who are striving to get into to those tough four those tough four places. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a funny one. It's 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 a it's a funny one. But as well, we the, know, the, the, UEFA are, are massively corrupt anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's another story. But yeah, for me, like, I like it when teams like that, that you, you don't really associate, particularly in recent years, of getting through to the last stage of the Champions League. Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed watching Ajax, for example, last season and that team that they put together. You know, Ajax are historically, you know, one of European's giants. You know, they've had some cracking players over the years, like your Cruyffs and your Rijkaard and your Hullets and Van Basten and people like you know, of, of course. But, you know, um, how good was it to watch them? It was refreshing to watch them, wasn't it? Play. You know, they, they put a great team together. You know, some good youngsters coming through. Most of them have moved on now, obviously. But, you know, they had a great run. And really, they should have got to the final. You know, they were Spurs were you know massively lucky when they played with played with them uh, against them. But uh, you know, that that season, sorry, when they got there. But I I think it was great. Leipzig as well last season had a great run, didn't they? You know, it was great to see them pushing for it. And and that, and that's how for me, that's what you want to see. You want to see you know Atalanta again this year done really well and lucky. Obviously they drew Real Madrid in the last round, but they gave Real Madrid a couple of decent games. They've done some great things in in the Champions League last couple of seasons. So. I think it's important for football that it's not just the same teams. You look at the, you know, you look at the latter stages nowadays, and it is the same names, isn't it? It's your Bayern Munich, your Real Madrids, City are in there. Obviously, Chelsea are back in there. Um, it, it's pretty much the same teams that we expect, um, and you know, most of us can pretty much call it. And if they avoid each other, you're probably looking at, you know, essentially a Bayern City final, aren't you? You know what I mean? I, I would say at the minute. Um, if they avoid each other in, in, in the draw but yeah if, if, for me it, football needs that and they need to find that balance between you know having um, other teams competing because it's not just our league you know you only have to look at the other major leagues it's the same teams up there every season isn't it um, I mean it's great to see in, you know it's great to see in France for example I know was it was it Lille who won today against PSG yeah, PSG yeah, and they're and they're winning the league, aren't they? They've they've moved they've moved ahead in the league, which is great. Great to mm. see that. You know, you know, you've got PSG, you've you know got just as much money, if not more, than City. So it's great to see them competing in there. Um, so you know, we'll, we'll see. Same in Germany. Germany's quite competitive this season, isn't it? Um, as well. Um, I know uh, Frankfurt are up there again. Eintracht Frankfurt are up there, aren't they? Fight, fighting for fighting for Champions League places. So. That's good, and that's what we want to see. And you know, the Premier League's been more competitive this year. Is it down to the fact there's no fans? Probably. You know I mean, it, it, that's probably played a massive part. The fact that there are seven or eight teams up there competing for the Champions League. Um, will that change next season when the fans come back? We don't know. But um, let's see what they replace FFP with before we get carried away in terms of whether it'll help us or not, because they'll probably come up with something else, won't they? Oh yeah, no, no doubt, and that, that that's certainly going to be. A conversation for another day, but let, let's let's see how the the Champions League story develops. It looks pretty nailed on. Uh, decision made next month. It looks like as things currently stand. So we'll know more then. But um, it looks like it is going to change. And, and let's hope by the time that these these new rules come in, we're already qualifying for the Champions League and we're taking Champions League football to to our new home of Bramley Moor. But that's us for this week. Uh, great episode. Great to have a, a guest on in in the shape of a valley. Um, the, the Crystal Palace fans something we'll look to do again in the future I'm sure uh, looking forward now obviously to the game on Monday and uh, we will be back to, to look back at that next weekend and look ahead to another Monday night game I think against Brighton 
Um, so we will catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.